0: Hello, And welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. We have reached part six of The Turn of the Screw. I try to do about three chapters each episode. Sometimes I do four, but there are only six chapters left after this episode. So that means two more episodes. We'll conclude our journey with Henry James into the House of Bly. If you like this series, I'm also reading through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein on my Patreon. I just added two more chapters. Also, if anyone asks, listening to an audio version of a book absolutely counts as reading it. You consumed the same words, understood the same stories and concepts, and could pass an accelerated reader test about it, so why shouldn't it count? I detest book snobs. And this is coming from someone who hoards classic and antique books like Smaug. Over the centuries, it was a bonding experience to have a family member or friend read books aloud while others listened. This is just the new timey version of that. So gather around the fire, pick up your embroidery or tinker with your newest invention, and let me read you a story. And if anyone asks, have you read The Turn of the Screw? You say, yes. My friend Shelby and I did, together. Chapter 16 I had so perfectly expected that the return of my pupils would be marked by a demonstration that I was freshly upset at having to take into account that they were dumb about my absence. Instead of gaily denouncing and caressing me, they made no allusion to my having failed them, and I was left, for the time on perceiving that she too said nothing, to study Mrs. Gross's odd face. I did this to such purpose that I made sure that they had in some way bribed her to silence, a silence that, however, I would engage to break down on the first private opportunity. This opportunity came before tea. I secured five minutes with her in the housekeeper's room, where in the twilight, amid a smell of lately baked bread, but with the place all swept and garnished, I found her sitting in pain, placidity before the fire. So I see her still. So I see her best. Facing the flame from her straight chair in the dusky, shining room. A large, clean image of the put-away, of drawers closed and locked and rest without a remedy. Oh yes, they asked me to say nothing... And to please them, so long as they were there, of course, I promised. But what had happened to you? I only went with you for the walk, I said. I had then to come back to meet a friend. She showed her surprise. A friend? You? Oh, yes, I have a couple, I laughed. But did the children give you a reason? For not alluding to your leaving us, yes, they said you would like it better. Do you like it better?" My face had made her rueful. No, I like it worse. But after an instant, I added, Did they say why I should like it better? No, Master Miles only said we must do nothing but what she likes. I wish indeed he would. And what did Flora say? Uh, Miss Flora was too sweet. She said, oh, of course, of course, and I said the same. I thought a moment. You were too sweet, too… I can hear you all, but nonetheless, between Miles and me, it's now all out all out. My companion stared. But what, Miss? Everything. It doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. I came home, my dear. I went on. For a talk. With Miss Jessel. I had by this time formed the habit of having Mrs. Gross literally well in hand in advance of my sounding that note so that even now, as she bravely blinked under the signal of my word, I could keep her comparatively firm. A a talk? Do you mean she spoke? It came to that. I found her on my return, in the schoolroom. And what did she say? I can hear the good woman still and the candor of her stupefaction. That she suffers the torments. It was this of a truth that made her, as she filled out my picture, gape. Do you mean? She faltered. Of the lost? Of the lost, of the damned. And that's why to share them I faltered myself with the horror of it. But my companion, with less imagination, kept me up. To share with them? She wants Flora. Mrs. Gross might, as I gave it to her, fairly have fallen away from me had I not been prepared. I still held her there, to show I was. As I've told you, however, it doesn't matter. Because you've made up your mind, but... But to what? To everything. And what do you call everything? Why? Sending for their uncle. Oh, miss, in pity, do. My friend broke out. Ah, but I will. I will. I see it's the only way. What's out, as I told you with Miles, is... That if he thinks I'm afraid to, and has ideas of what he gains by that, he shall see he's mistaken. Yes, yes, his uncle shall have it here from me on the spot, and before the boy himself if necessary. That if I'm going to be reproached with having done nothing again about more school... Yes, miss? My companion pressed me. Well there's that awful reason there were now clearly so many of these for my poor colleague that she was excusable for being vague but uh, which why the letter from his old place you'll show it to the master i ought to have done so on the instant oh no "'said Mrs. Gross with decision. "'I'll put it before him,' I went on inexorably, "'that I can't undertake to work the question on behalf "'of a child who has been expelled, "'for we've never in the least known what,' "'Mrs. Gross declared. "'For wickedness. "'For what else? "'Why he's so clever and beautiful and perfect. "'Is he stupid?' Is he untidy? Is he infirm? Is he ill-natured? He's exquisite. So it can only be that, and that would open up the whole thing. After all, I said, it's their uncle's fault. If he left here such people, he didn't really in the least know them. The fault's mine. She had turned quite pale. Well, you shan't suffer, I answered. The children shan't. She emphatically returned. I was silent a while. We looked at each other. Then, what am I to tell him? You needn't tell him anything. I'll tell him. I measured this. Do you mean you'll write? Remembering she couldn't, I caught myself up. How do you communicate? I tell the bailiff. He writes. And should you like him to write our story? My question had a sarcastic force that I had not fully intended, and it made her, after a moment, inconsequently break down tears were again in her eyes. Ah, miss, you write. Well, tonight, I at last answered, and on this, we separated. Chapter 17 I went so far in the evening as to make a beginning. The weather had changed back a great wind was abroad and beneath the lamp in my room with flora at peace beside me i sat for a long time before a blank sheet of paper and listened to the lash of the rain and the batter of the gusts finally i went out taking a candle i crossed the passage and listened a minute at miles's door what under my endless obsession i had been impelled to listen for was some betrayal of his not being at rest, and I presently caught one, but not in the form I had expected. His voice tinkled out, I say, you there, come in. It was a gaiety in the gloom. I went in with my light and found him in bed, very wide awake, but very much at his ease. Well, what are you up to? He asked with the grace of sociability in which it occurred to me that Mrs. Gross, had she been present, might have looked in vain for proof that anything was out. I stood over him with my candle. How did you know I was there? Why, of course I heard you. Did you fancy you made no noise? You're like a troop of cavalry. He beautifully laughed. Then you weren't asleep? not much i lay awake and think i had put my candle designedly a short way off and then as he held out his friendly old hand to me had sat down on the edge of his bed what is it i asked that you think of what in the world my dear but you Ah. The pride I take in your appreciation doesn't insist on that. I had so far rather you slept. Well, I think also, you know, of this queer business of ours. I marked the coolness of his firm little hand. Of what queer business, Miles? Why, the way you bring me up. And all the rest. I fairly held my breath a minute, and even from my glimmering taper, there was light enough to show me he smiled up at me from his pillow. What do you mean by all the rest? Oh, you know, you know. I could say nothing for a minute, though I felt, as I held his hand and our eyes continued to meet, that my silence had all the air of admitting his charge and... That nothing in the whole world of reality was perhaps at that moment so fabulous as our actual relation. Certainly you shall go back to school, I said. If it be that troubles you, but not to the old place. We must find another, a better. How could I know it did trouble you, this question? When you never told me so, never spoke of it at all. His clear, listening face, framed in its smooth whiteness, made him for the minute as appealing as some wistful patient in a children's hospital, and I would have given, as the resemblance came to me, all I possessed on earth, really, to be the nurse or the sister of charity who might have helped to cure him. Well, even as it was, I perhaps might help. "'Do you know you've never said a word to me about your school?' I mean, the old one. Never mentioned it in any way. He seemed to wonder. He smiled with the same loveliness. But he clearly gained time. He waited. He called for guidance. Haven't I? (laughs) It wasn't for me to help him. It was for the thing I had met. Something in his tone and the expression of his face as I got this from him set my heart aching with such a pang as it had never yet known. So unutterably touching was it to see his little brain puzzled and his little resources taxed to play under the spell laid on him, a part of innocence and consistency. No, never. From the hour you came back. You never mentioned to me one of your masters, one of your comrades... "'nor the least little thing that ever happened to you at school. "'Never, little Miles, no, never, have you given me an inkling of anything that may have happened there. "'Therefore, you can fancy how much I'm in the dark. "'Until you came out that way this morning, you had, since the first hour I saw you, "'scarce even made a reference to anything in your previous life. "'You seemed so perfectly to accept the present.' It was extraordinary how my absolute conviction of his secret precocity, or whatever I might call the poison of an influence that I dared but have to phrase, made him, in spite of the faint breath of his inward trouble, appear as accessible as an older person, imposed him almost as an intellectual equal. I thought you wanted to go on as you are. It struck me that... At this, he just faintly colored. He gave, at any rate, like a convalescent slightly fatigued, a languid shake of his head. I, I don't. I, I don't. I want to get away. You're tired of Bly? Oh no, I like Bly. Well, then... Oh, you know what a boy wants. I felt that... I didn't know so well as Miles, and I took temporary refuge. You want to go to your uncle? Again at this, with his sweet, ironic face, he made a movement on the pillow. Ah, you can't get off with that. I was silent a little, and it was I now, I think who changed color. My dear, I don't want to get off. You can't, even if you do, (laughs) you can't, (laughs) you can't. He lay beautifully, staring. My uncle must come down, and you must completely settle things. If we do, I returned with some spirit, you may be sure it will be to take you quite away. Well, don't you understand? That's exactly what I'm working for. You'll have to tell him about the way you've let it all drop. You'll have to tell him a tremendous lot. The exultation with which he uttered this helped me somehow for the instant to meet him rather more. And how much will you, Miles, have to tell him? There are things he'll ask you. He turned it over. Very likely, but what things? The things you've never told me. To make up his mind what to do with you. He can't send you back. Oh, I don't want to go back. He broke in. I want a new field. He said it with admirable serenity. Positive, unimpeachable gaiety. And doubtless, it was that very note that most evoked for me the poignancy, the unnatural childish tragedy of his probable reappearance at the end of three months with all this bravado and still more dishonor. It overwhelmed me now that I should never be able to bear that. And it made me let myself go. I threw myself upon him, and in the tenderness of my pity, I embraced him. Dear little Miles, dear little Miles. My face was close to his, and he let me kiss him, simply taking it with indulgent good humor. Well, old lady? Is there nothing, nothing at all, you want to tell me? He turned off a little Facing round toward the wall And holding up his hand to look at As one had seen sick children look I've told you I told you this morning Oh, I was sorry for him That you just want me not to worry about you He looked round at me now as if in recognition of my understanding him, then ever so gently. To let me alone, he replied. There was even a singular little dignity in it, something that made me release him. Yet, when I had slowly risen, linger beside him. God knows I never wished to harass him But I felt that merely at this, to turn my back on him was to abandon or, to put it more truly, to lose him. I've just begun a letter to your uncle, I said. Well, then finish it. I waited a minute. What happened before? He gazed up at me again. Before what? Before you came back, and before you went away. For some time, he was silent. He continued to meet my eyes. What happened? It made me, the sound of the words in which it seemed to me that I caught for the very first time a small, faint quaver of consenting consciousness made me drop to my knees beside the bed and seize once more the chance of possessing him. Dear little Miles, dear little Miles, if you knew how I want to help you, it's only that, it's nothing but that, and I'd rather die than give you a pain or do you wrong, I'd rather die than hurt a hair of you, dear little Miles. Oh, I brought it out now, even if I should go too far. I just want you to help me to save you. But I knew in a moment after this that I had gone too far. The answer to my appeal was instantaneous, but it came in the form of an extraordinary blast and chill, a gust of frozen wind and a shake the room as great as if, in the wild wind, the casement had crashed in. The boy gave a loud, high shriek, which, lost in the rest of the shock of sound, might have seemed indistinctly, though I was so close to him, a note either of jubilation or of terror. I jumped to my feet again and was conscious of the darkness, so for a moment we remained while I stared about me and saw that the drawn curtains were unstirred and the window tight. "'Why, the candle's out,' I then cried. "'It was I who blew it out, dear,' said Miles. Chapter 18 The next day, after lessons, Mrs. Gross found a moment to say to me quietly, Have you written, miss? Yes, I've written. But I didn't add, for the hour, that my letter, sealed and directed, was still in my pocket. There would be time enough to send it before the messenger should go to the village. Meanwhile, there had been, on the part of my pupils, no more brilliant, more exemplary morning it was exactly as if they had both had at heart to gloss over any recent little friction. They performed the dizziest feats of arithmetic, soaring quite out of my feeble range, and perpetrated, in higher spirits than ever, geographical and historical jokes. It was conspicuous, of course, in Miles in particular, that he appeared to wish to show how easily he could let me down. This child, to my memory, really lives in a setting of beauty and misery that no words can translate. There was a distinction all his own in every impulse he revealed. Never was a small natural creature, to the uninitiated eye, all frankness and freedom, a more ingenious, a more extraordinary little gentleman. I had perpetually to guard against the wonder of contemplation into which my initiated view betrayed me, To check the irrelevant gaze and discouraged sigh, in which I constantly both attacked and renounced the enigma of which such a little gentleman could have done that deserved a penalty. Say that, by the dark prodigy I knew. The imagination of all evil had been opened up to him. All the justice within me ached for the proof that it could ever have flowered into an act. He had never, at any rate, been such a little gentleman as when, after our early dinner on this dreadful day, he came round to me and asked if I shouldn't like him, for half an hour, to play with me. David playing to Saul could never have shown a finer sense of the occasion. It was literally a charming exhibition of tact, of magnanimity, and quite tantamount to his saying outright, The true knights we love to read about, never push an advantage too far. I know what you mean now. You mean that, to be let alone yourself and not followed up, you'll cease to worry and spy upon me. Won't keep me so close to you, will let me go and come. Well, I come, you see, but I don't go. There'll be plenty of time for that. I do really delight in your society and I only wanted to show you that I contended for a principal. It may be imagined whether I resisted this appeal or failed to accompany him again hand in hand to the schoolroom. He sat down at the old piano and played as he had never played. And if there are those who think he had better have been kicking a football, I can only say that I wholly agree with them. For at the end of a time that, under his influence, I had quite ceased to measure, I started up with a strange sense of having literally slept at my post. It was after luncheon and by the schoolroom fire, and I yet hadn't really in the least slept. I had only done something much worse. I had forgotten. Where all this time was Flora? When I put the question to Miles. He played on a minute before answering, and then could only say, Why, my dear, how do I know? Breaking, moreover, into a happy laugh which, immediately after, as if it were a vocal accompaniment, he prolonged into incoherent, extravagant song. I went straight to my room, but his sister was not there. Then, before going downstairs, I looked into several others. As she was nowhere about, she would surely be with Mrs. Gross, whom, in the comfort of that theory, I accordingly proceeded in quest of. I found her where I had found her the evening before. But she met my quick challenge with blank, scared, ignorance. She had only supposed that, after the repast, I had carried off both the children, as to which she was quite in her right for it was the very first time I had allowed this little girl out of my sight without some special provision. Of course, now, indeed, she might be with the maids, so that the immediate thing was to look for her without an air of alarm. This we promptly arranged between us, but when, ten minutes later and in pursuance of our arrangement, we met in the hall, it was only to report on either side that after our guarded inquiries— we had altogether failed to trace her. For a minute there, apart from observation, we exchanged mute alarms, and I could feel with what high interest my friend returned me all those I had from the first given her. She'll be above, she presently said, in one of the rooms you haven't searched. No, she's at a distance, I had made up my mind. She has gone out. Mrs. Gross stared. Without a hat? I naturally also looked volumes. Isn't that woman always without one? She's with her? She's with her, I declared. We must find them. My hand was on my friend's arm. But she failed for the moment, confronted with such an account of the matter, to respond to my pressure. She communed on the contrary, on the spot with her uneasiness. And where's Master Miles? Oh, he's with Quint, there in the schoolroom. Lord, miss. My view, I was myself aware, and therefore I suppose my tone had never yet reached so calm an assurance. The tricks played, I went on. They've successfully worked their plan. He found the most divine little way to keep me quiet while she went off. Divine? Mrs. Gross bewilderly echoed. Infernal, then. I almost cheerfully rejoined. He has provided for himself as well. But come. She had helplessly gloomed at the upper regions. You leave him so long with Quint? Yes. I don't mind that now. She always ended at these moments by getting possession of my hand, and in this manner she could at present still stay me. But after grasping an instant at my sudden resignation, because of your letter she eagerly brought out. I quickly, by way of answer, felt for my letter, drew it forth, held it up, and then, freeing myself, went and laid it on the great hall table. Luke will take it, I said as I came back. I reached the house door and opened it. I was already on the steps. My companion still demurred. The storm of the night and the early morning had dropped but the afternoon was damp and gray. I came down on the drive while she stood in the doorway. You go with nothing on? What do I care when the child has nothing? I can't wait to dress, I cried. And if you must do so, I leave you. Try, meanwhile, yourself upstairs. With them? Oh, on this, the poor woman promptly joined me.